Sometimes you wonder, what do these guys do during the week or on his day off? What does a pastor do on his day off? Well, let me tell you what I did on my day off. Yesterday, I ran the chocolate and coffee 5K. Actually, it was a coffee and chocolate because coffee should come before chocolate. But the 5K, because I've been training for it. I, I do enjoy running. And um, I sign up for these fun runs because far enough out, it gets me out the door running. So in January, when it was 17 degrees, I'm like, huh, I don't think I want to run today. I think about, well, if I don't run now, I could probably struggle in my 5K coming up in March. And it gets me out the door, and once I get to the street, then I'll run. The hardest part is going from the, from the house to the street. If I can get there, I can go run. If I don't get there, then I just sit at home and eat Cheetos. <laughs> I do. <laughs> That's not, you know, just a saying. I, no, that, I do. So, the running's been helping. And so, my goal was to run a, th- a sub-30-minute 5K. It's been all my goal. I've been training for it. I've been getting ready. Well, I crossed the finish line yesterday in 30 minutes and 4 seconds. Yeah. Don't you clap. I missed my goal by 5 seconds. Gah! I was talking to Jeremy and he was like, I'd rather, I'd rather be 45 minutes, you know. <laughs> I missed it by 4 seconds. But um, there's something I need to tell you. While I was running, at about the two and a half mile mark, I was right on pace. I mean, I, I could have just basically run a 12-minute mile that last and finished under 30 minutes. But I didn't walk. I hit a hill, and I charged up that hill, and about halfway up that hill, I blew chunks. Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a wonderful picture. And, you know, as you're running, and you've got people running with you, I wasn't just going to, like, puke, and they're like, ooh, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm literally on a bridge. I know. I know what you're thinking. And I, I stepped off to the edge, and I threw up on the railroad tracks. <laughs> And it took me about 30, 40 seconds to recover, wipe everything else off my face, and finish the run. If I hadn't puked, I would have met my goal. But I did. And I'm not going to change my time because that's what it is what it is. So that's what I did. Just trying to share a little bit of my life with you has nothing to do about the sermon today. I just thought I'd share. So, um, this week we read the rest of Judges. Did we not? We read five chapters. And Judges 17 through 21 is kind of a rough section of Scripture. Um, The funny thing about Judges, starting in Judges 17, we've just finished with the failed judgeship of Samson. 
one that started out with such great promise fails dismally. And then we get to 17. It just starts out. And if you're reading Judges and you've been reading it, you think, okay, now it's time for the next judge. It's time for the people of Israel to be oppressed by a nation and for them to cry out to God and for him to send a judge. That just doesn't happen. The, the angel of the Lord told Israel, you want to serve other gods? I'm not even going to send another judge to rescue you. And so Judges 17 through 21 is a, just, it just begins and it, it shows a story. Doesn't make any what's wrong, what's right. It just tells you. And if you, if you know the law, if you know what God already desired, these five chapters should just huh, scandalize you. But it doesn't present that way. Let me, let me put it this way. Um, do you remember kindergarten, first grade? Do you remember show and tell? This section of scripture between 17 and 21 is not show and tell. It's just show. It doesn't tell you what's going on. You, you should know better than the things that happen. Micah, and he sets up this idol. And then you have the Danites who refuse to take the land that God gave them. And then they go up to some peace-loving, peaceful area in Sidon, to the very northern part of Israel, of the promised land, slay them and just take the easy way out, and they end up being in the very northern part. And so, for the rest of history that we read in the Bible, they talk about the saying, from, from Dan to Beersheba, from Dan to Beersheba, meaning the entire country, because Beersheba's way down in Judah, way down in, in the Negev, in the desert, and Dan is up in Sidon. And the, where the Phoenicians are, all the way up. So let's talk about that. Dan ends up settling up there. They start out where Samson was, where Samson should have taken care of the Philistines. They, they end up moving up there. And they take Micah, who set up, I mean, not Micah, but his, his priest, and they set it up there. And then there's this story of a civil war, and one of the tribes almost gets completely wiped out. Huh. It's just horrific what's going on. So there is a a saying that is said several times between Judges 17 and Judges 21. It says Israel had no king. They did what was right. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And we see the destruction, the devastation that it says. I submit to you. That during this time, Israel, in fact, did have a king. It was supposed to be God. God was supposed to be king. God was supposed... He laid down the rules for a proper way of living. And everybody said, yeah, 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 that's nice, but I'm going to do what I want to do. That's basically what happened. So I'm going to take one that... A chapter that... There's not many sermons on 
and take on Judges 17. And it's a short one. Let's read it in its entirety and let's, let's talk about it and what it means to us today. So, Judges 17. Starting in verse 1. Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, The 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I took it. Then his mother said, The Lord bless you, my son. When he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make an image overlaid with silver. I will give it back to you. So after he returned the silver to his mother, she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who used them to make the idol. And it was put in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and some household gods and installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. A young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah who had been living within the clan of Judah left that town in search of some other place to stay. On his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Micah asked him, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Then Micah said to him, Live with me and be my father and priest, and I'll give you ten shekels of silver a year, your clothes and your food. So Levite agreed to live with him, and the young man became like one of his sons to him. Then Micah installed the Levite, and the young young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. That's the entirety of chapter 17. There are so many things wrong with this story. There are so many things wrong with what just happened. Of course, there's no explanation it's assumed that you know what's right and what's wrong. So I'm going to grab a couple verses from Numbers and Exodus to be able to point out as we go along. But for the most part, we're going to look at what has happened in the hill country of Ephraim. And you were Ephraim is right back in the center. It's sort of um, a microcosm of what's going on in the rest of Israel. Okay? So let's... Let's look at Micah. Let's look at Micah first. Okay? Um, Micah is, he's a thief. That's what he is. He's a thief. And not only is he a thief, he steals from his own mother. His his mom has 1,100 shekels of silver. Now, later on we find out that a good living wage is 10 shekels a year. And so 1,100 shekels. This is a nice little nest egg for mom. She's pretty wealthy. And Micah felt free to take it from her. And Micah's mom then utters a curse. And because of the curse that mom has spewed out, Micah returns the money. He's afraid of the curse. Not necessarily afraid of God, but he's afraid of the curse of his mom. And then his mom very quickly, oh, okay. 
you, you've given me back the 1100 Oh, I, I'm so happy. Bless you, my son. So to somehow negate the curse, she now blesses him. So then everything's okay. Actually, everything is not okay here. Because she says, I'm going to consecrate my silver, all of it, she says, to the Lord. To make an idol. Wait, what? She says she's going to consecrate all of it, but then she gives 200. Hey, this is a very shrewd woman, all right? Only 200 shekels of it is used in the making, in the curving of shaping of the idol. Which means it was probably wood shaped into a whatever shape it is, and then overlaid with the silver. And it becomes an idol and becomes placed in Micah's house and he's happy to have it. So, he's a thief, but yet he returns it to his mom. But if you know the law, you know that something is amiss. Let's look at Numbers chapter 5, 5 through 7. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites... Any man or woman who wrongs another in any way and so is unfaithful to the Lord is guilty and must confess the sin they have committed. They must make full restitution for the wrong they have done and add a fifth of the value to it and give it all to the person they have wronged. So, hey, we have a confession. Micah said, no, I took it, Mom. It doesn't sound like he was like, Upset about it or sorry about it, but because of the curse, I've got the money, Mom. But he doesn't give the additional 20% restitution for taking what was not his. So it's, or the law has already been broken. And did you notice what God told Moses? Whoever wrongs, whoever is unfaithful to the Lord, if you wrong somebody else, You are unfaithful to the Lord. This plays out in so many ways. Oftentimes when we're reading through the history, people will say something and you'll go, okay. For example, when David sleeps with Bathsheba and he has her husband killed so he can marry her. David says this statement. You alone, God, have I been unfaithful to. That's from this passage. By wronging another person, he's proven to be unfaithful to God. It means David knows the word of God. And he knows what he did. Not only does it being unfaithful to God. I mean, is it the chicken or the egg? Are you unfaithful to God? That's why you're, you can easily wrong another person? Or you wrong another person and you're unfaithful to God? And the answer is yes. Okay? So, we look at that there. Okay? Let's, let's look at mom. Mom is very wealthy. She's been blessed by God. 1,100 shekels of silver. Can you imagine what that plays out in today's cost? That's a lot of. Okay. 
She's happy for the money to be returned, so she dedicates it to God. To the Lord is what she says. I mean, she's, she's absolutely meaning Yahweh. I'm going to dedicate this to Yahweh by making an idol. So, something is amiss. Because we know in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20, 4 and 5, says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water below. You should not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation for those who hate me. This is one of the Ten Commandments because don't make an idol. Because if you make an idol, you are showing that you hate me. This is what God is equating in this command. If you choose your way of following me, then you do not love me. You, in fact, hate me. And this is what mom is doing. And Micah doesn't seem to have any problem with having an idol made and sitting in his house. Whereas the law prescribes, anybody decides if they tell you, hey, let's follow another god, you're supposed to kill them. You're supposed to get the sinfulness out of the country. You're supposed to stop this. And at this time in Israel's history, sort of okay to have an idol in your house. Why? Remember the overarching summation that we find in Judges that there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So when Micah talks about this, he says, the Lord will be good to me since I have this shrine set up and I have this Levitical priest at my house, then the Lord, Yahweh, will bless me. And he's totally off base. He's totally wrong. He, he wants to follow God by disobeying God. He wants God's blessing by doing exactly what God tells him not to do. It's, it's crazy thinking. So let's go back to Mike again. He has a idol made with a, along with Wait, it says other household idols? So not only does he have the idol made by mom's money by a silversmith, he has other idols. And he, he sets up a shrine. A shrine is not necessarily for you. It's for, hey, let's bring other people around. Come on in. Hey, the tabernacle is in Shiloh. You don't need to go there. You can just come here to serve God. I think he's wanting a piece of the action. Because when you went to the temple and you did a Thanksgiving offering, you did a sin offering, some of the proceeds of the offering were given to whom? The Levites or the priest. And don't you know that he was setting up a little family business. He is setting this up. He may not have got the 1,100 shekels from mom, but he's got a moneymaker right here, baby. And so, 
Not only does he make a shrine, he makes an ephod. And he installs his son first as priest, an Ephraimite. Okay, where does he get the idea for an ephod? From the tabernacle, from, at this point, Phineas, who's the high priest. He is imitating what was proper worship of God through the tabernacle for his own locale. That's what he's doing. And he, oh, I've got a son here. He's not doing much. Hey, let's make him priest. And then enters a Levite. This Levite is from Bethlehem. And Bethlehem plays a big role in these next four or five chapters. And it's not good. Not a good reputation. And that stands in contrast to David, who is from Bethlehem, who becomes a righteous king, who has becomes... But at this point, Bethlehem is... It's not going well. And so, Bethlehem is one of the 48 cities that was designated as a town for Levites. Okay? And this is... They were able to have towns. They didn't get a territory. The, the whole... Uh, uh, tribe of Levi was not given land, they were given cities, and because God was their inheritance. So, why is this Levite leaving his home city? We aren't told, but we can make some conjecture. Okay, why why would you leave your home? One. Did you do something wrong? And you're running, running away from your past? Did you commit a crime and you, you've, you've stunk it up so bad that you've got to leave? Could be. It could be that because the nation of Israel was so messed up at this point that now the people of the, the Levites were supposed to be given money or supposed to be giving help from the rest of the tribes in their service to God at the tabernacle. Maybe that stopped. Maybe this Levite is impoverished. Maybe he's, I got nothing here. These guys aren't giving me anything to help me out in my, in my priestly duties. I've got to go somewhere to live. It could be a couple of those things. Could be he was just like, huh, what's out there? It says he's a young man. Okay, so... He's going to go make his fortune somewhere else? I don't know. And then he fortuitously runs into Micah. And Micah says, oh, you could be my priest. Why is Micah so excited about that? <laughs> because the only he knows the word enough to know that the only ones that can be priests in the tabernacle are, is a Levite. This is giving him some legitimacy, as the case may be. So he, come, come, I'll give you ten shekels a year. I'll give you your clothes and, and feed you. And this sounds pretty good to the Levite. Okay, Micah's sins, a lot of it could be just because he just doesn't know the word of God. 
But this gives an indication that maybe he does. But even worse, the Levite, he's the one who's supposed to know the word of God. He's supposed to know the law, yet he sets himself up as a priest. And then it says Micah consecrates him. What authority did Micah have anything to consecrate this Levite? And this being a young man, be my father. Wait, what? Listen, there's a number of guys in this in this community that we have at Heights Christian Church. I'd love for you to be my father. But you're all older than me. Okay? There are some of you that are younger, young men. I love you, but I'm not going to see you as a father. This is... This is sort of like a little perversion here. What, what is this all about? Because you're a Levite, you can be my father, even though I'm so much older than you? This is, this is wacky. So, what Micah is trying to obtain, he's attempting to maintain a relationship with God by violating the commands of God. We can say from our reading that Micah was utterly sincere. He, I think he thought he was doing right. I, I, God, I, I, I love you, so I'm, I'm going to disobey you, but, it's, but I really mean that I love you. I'm, I'm trying my best, Right? It seems like he's very sincere. He's making a lot of time and effort into setting all of this up. But it's completely wrong from what God wanted him to do. Sincerity is nice. But it gets you nowhere. If it's not coupled with truth. So what does this mean for us? Judges sums up several times the decay. Like I've said, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right. This is very much like the modern world with which we live in. We have like, um, you should follow your heart. Or let your heart be your guide. That's a very dangerous place to be. Because sometimes our heart is desperately wicked. Listen, Proverbs says this. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. And so, left to our own device, if we do things our way, sooner or later there's going to be destruction. So what we need to do What they needed to do was follow God in the prescribed way he wanted you to do it. Okay? So, we see this played out so much. I see this. I have countless conversations with people. Well, I'm not sure I could serve a God who would have people killed or what kind of what kind of god would allow famine in africa and all these kids die yeah that's not on god that's because man 
has chosen to do it his way and not God's way. And so we have, we have this thing, well, I think this is right, so I'm, I'm going to do it. You, you take, you, they observe what's going on in the culture, and they say, well, this is okay. We have, we have couples that are living together and not in a dedicated, committed marriage. I mean, we have literally thousands, millions of people doing this cohabitation. And when things get rough, when things get tough, instead of being committed, they run away or they leave. And so we have countless, of peop- countless children living under single-family homes. And you can read the statistics, you know, single-family home doesn't guarantee you that you're going to be impoverished, but it's, it's going to give you an option that you more likely than not. More convicts, more people that have created laws in our country are from one-parent households. It leaves them open for abuse. And so they in turn abuse others. I mean, it's just a vicious cycle. Just from one decision. Well, it's okay to live together. No, it's not because God said it didn't. Because he knew that without a committed relationship between man and woman, even though it gets tough and you still hang in there, you draw your line and say, I'm not going to divorce. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to hang it out. I'm going to work it out. That's just one example. I mean, we can go through all our society and we can just go on on and on and on about any kind of sexual immorality. We have the um, killing of children as a convenience. We have theft. Well, it's okay if it's that because that's a really big corporation and they can afford it. You rationalize it. Again, you're rationalizing it through what? Oh, because you're following your heart. (laughs) When God himself says, don't steal. Right? Okay. What what, what do we get from this? What do we do? It seems right to the eyes of Adam and Eve. It seemed right in their eyes to eat the forbidden fruit. And now we had sin into the world. It seemed right in the eyes of Cain to offer the produce as an offering rather than a live animal. And he ends up killing his brother on that. It seemed right in the eyes of the sons of Jacob to sell Joseph into slavery. But God said it was wrong. It seemed right in the eyes of Nadab and Abihu to offer strange fire before the Lord. But God said it was wrong. Just like in the time of the judges, today everybody does what's right in their own eyes. I mean, this is in reference to radical individualism that's going on. People look for self for their guide for morality and ethics. And the only trouble with that is that because our heart is so wicked and sinful, those moralities and ethics ebb and flow as the situation comes. This is why Jeremy and I tell you we need to read the Word of God. 
Because when you read the word of God, you draw that line in the sand. And you say, this is wrong, this is right. And I need to do with right, and I need to live with the consequences. Now, this isn't a guarantee that you're going to have a great life. But if you do, if you follow the precepts of the Lord, there will not be that destruction that we see going on and on and perpetuate. So which, lot, which side of the line of the sand do you want to be in? Let me, let me warn you. You draw your line in the sand and say, I will not cross this line to do it because this is what God says is going to put you at odds with our society. It's going to happen. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But it's going to happen. It's not a question of if. It's a question of when. And when that happens, are you strong enough to stand and say, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Regardless of how I'm treated. Because God is my God and I am not my God. We have a way of wanting to make God, to fashion God into our image. When in fact we were imaged, we were, our image was in the shape of God. And so that's what we're working on in our sinful nature to be back to the image of God rather than making him in the image of us. But wait, how do we do that if our, if our heart is so wicked? And how do, how do we get back there? How, how do we get back to where we can be in the image of God rather than in the image of myself? Because... Listen, I've lived long enough. I know that left in my own device, I'm capable of the most heinous things. What If there was only some way that I could be in the image of God. Did you hear Mike's communion meditation today? It's what Christ did on the cross that we have an opportunity... We have a way to get back to having, being in the image of God. And that's through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Now, that may sound exclusatory. I didn't make the rules. But you know what? I trust the one that did. And so, I accept Jesus as my personal Savior. I choose to follow him. And what he says than what I want to do. And it's made all the difference in the world. It's made all the difference in the world. Wait, do I still sin? Yes. Am I still broken? Yes. Do I still puke on the street? Yes. But I'm getting there slowly. Through the sanctification process, through the Holy Spirit living in me. I'm making those baby steps. So that for eternity, I can serve God in whatever way he seems, whatever he deems. Does that sound good? Is that something you would want to do? Won't you stand? Short chapter, short sermon today. Hopefully it gets recorded. Father God, we come before you, we thank you and praise you for who you are.
what you have done for us. The many blessings that you bestow upon us. Not the least of being your son, sending your son to die on the cross to be to pay for the sins that we have committed and continue to commit. Lord, please, this week, shape us. Chisel off those broken pieces that need to be so that we, in turn, can serve others, to help others, to point people to you. Lord God, help us because we are desperately wicked. And the only way is your way. Thank you. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.